0: Welcome to The Conversation at Airsafe.com. I'm your host, Todd Curtis. On December 15, 2014, I had a long conversation with Charles Adler of radio station CJOB of Winnipeg, Canada. We discussed a number of issues, including some recent near-misses involving Russian military aircraft and civilian aircraft in the Scandinavian region, as well as ongoing efforts to find Malaysian Airlines MH370 and recent issues of drone safety which have been in the news.
1: Charles Adler. Things are about to get interesting. On 680, CJOB. We haven't talked to Todd Curtis at AirSafe for a while. He's he's based in In Massachusetts, he has lots of experience with the U.S. Air Force and with Boeing. Todd, uh, thank you so much for joining us. The story that uh, did not get as much attention as it, I think, ordinarily would have because of the the hostage crisis in Sydney is the Russian fighter, and there's a a conflict here in terms of communications. The Swedes say uh, that the Russian fighter jet got far too close for comfort with a Swedish passenger liner, and so we nearly had a serious disaster. Uh, the Russians are telling a different story as the Russians generally do. But, Todd, what can you tell us about what happened over the skies of Europe?
0: Well, to make a long story short, uh, just as is done off the uh, coast of Canada and, uh, and Alaska, the Russians uh, sometimes have their military aircraft uh, fly close to uh, other people's borders and sometimes close to other aircraft as a show of power, etc. It seems as though in the past few weeks there have been several occasions where they've gotten too close for comfort. And it's a question of whether or not they're adhering to both international rules of air navigation and common sense rules
1: of how to stay safe in the air. Look, I don't want to turn this into a PR thing because uh, the public safety thing is far more important than the, the PR thing, but we'll, we'll start with the PR. Why would the Russians risk something like this? Well, that gets
0: to a whole host of political things that are well beyond my area of expertise, but clearly, Over the last few months, Russia has taken a few blows in the public uh, uh, relations arena with their international forays in Ukraine and elsewhere. And one could assume that perhaps this is being done on orders from on high in order to show Europe and
1: the rest of the world that Russia still matters and on some level. Well, is there any technical reason why there should be as many close calls as we're at least getting the impression of that there are? Uh, No, there isn't uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first,
0: the reports I've seen uh, seem to indicate that these were close approaches to civilian aircraft. Now, the Russian, US and other nations regularly uh, do intelligence gathering on other people's military aircraft, but there's simply no good reason to over international waters, approach a civilian airliner. second, there're long-standing security and safety procedures in place to prevent near collisions, one of them being the use of a transponder, and apparently from some of these reports, the Russian aircraft switched off their civilian transponders, making it very difficult for civilian radar and, more importantly, other airliners to see these aircraft.
1: So, I mean, going forward, what are what are the world's airlines supposed to do about Russia? Russia right now seems like it's gone rogue.
0: Well, there's not much that can be done except that if this turns out to be a regular problem, There could be actions taken at a national level. For example, uh, nations may refuse entry of civilian Russian airliners into their territory. Or this could be taken up at a more formal level at the UN or some other international body. Basically saying Russia, it's okay to have a military, but it's not okay to fly so close to the civilian airliners.
1: Now, over the weekend in something completely different, uh, Friday we had a computer glitch and it caused a Heathrow, one of the biggest airports in the world, uh, to briefly shut down its airspace. Before we do anything else on this, um, as far as you can tell, talk uh, Curtis, of AirSafe, was there a public safety issue here before they shut the thing down? No, there wasn't a public safety issue in the sense
0: of was this a system that was uh, prone to failure? Is this a system that was regularly uh, degraded or shutting down, I've seen no indication of that. But what we do have, both in Canada, the U.S., and, and Europe, are very, very sophisticated air traffic control systems that take a combination of human and technological interaction to work. And if you have a failure of one of those two parts of the system, you can have all sorts of very uh, extensive cascading failures. I just have to remind your listeners, a few weeks ago, there was a person in the Chicago area who deliberately disabled One of the air traffic control centers controlling uh, traffic in the Midwest of the U.S. And it had an effect on traffic for hours across the country. And it took weeks before this facility was back to 100%.
1: Well, you know, this brings up a story. I mean, most recently we've been dealing with Sony, but we seem to be dealing with all sorts of private companies, public companies, uh, who are targets of, of, of hackers. And one wonders how vulnerable air traffic control is to hacking. Well, it's
0: vulnerable because just like many other large complex systems, they're heavily dependent on interdependent computer systems in order to operate. And if one were to deliberately try and disable the system, there are many ways to do it, especially if you're an insider, which was the case with Chicago. As far as having outside entities attacking those kinds of infrastructure, although there has not been any reported successful attacks of air traffic control infrastructure, There have been cases in the past where critical infrastructure, both in the U.S., Canada, and elsewhere, have been probed or have been attacked by outside entities. So the threat is certainly there. The recognition of that threat is certainly there. And one could only hope that the appropriate agencies are preventing this from happening.
1: Todd, uh, those of us who were on uh, social media last night, there were lots of reports out of Australia as this hostage taking was an ongoing story, which only finally, finally ended uh, in the early hours of today. So it went on for 16 hours. But in the early hours, um, we had no idea uh, how much planning there was, how many people might have been involved, whether it was a, a conspiracy or just the, the you know, the, the sort of the, the lone wolf, which it now appears to be a lone, known wolf. Here's the question. When they were tweeting about airspace being shut down, I don't know how reliable the information was because sometimes one doesn't know uh, when, it, when it's on Twitter. But if you can just uh, give me a sense of this, um, is it generally the situation when police are not quite sure how expansive a terror incident is to shut down airspace? Well, I can't speak for the Australian authorities
0: and their requirements for that sort of thing. But I have seen in the U.S. and elsewhere when there's some sort of wide-scale event going on that could have a wider implication. For example, I live in the Boston area, and I was here during the uh, bombing of a couple years ago. You will have airspace that's being cleared, possibly for safety reasons, for example, to keep news helicopters from running into each other, and possibly because they simply don't know if there's a wider conspiracy afoot. So these reports of airspace being shut down could be quite legitimate,
1: But it could be for reasons that are not quite what we think of at this point. When you're on uh, social media and you're looking at these kinds of stories, how do you know what is legitimate and what isn't? I often don't. But what I do uh, do on occasion
0: is I look for other pieces of evidence. One case I can point to, there was a case at LAX airport a few months ago where there was a, a gunman opening fire on people. And there were people tweeting out, hey, here's a picture from inside the terminal. Well, I thought this could be real. This could not be real. But through other sources, I have got a bunch of other views of that terminal before this event took place. And the purported pictures seem to match up with what I got from more legitimate sources. So there are ways to, in real time, look at data to see if it's more likely to be legitimate. But again, uh, to the listener and especially to the media, when you have a breaking story like this, it's always better to take the more conservative view and not report on something until you get some sort of corroboration, especially from official sources.
1: Todd, Kurt, it's just the mind still on uh, the land down under. Technically and officially, they are still searching for that Malaysian jetliner off the coast of Australia somewhere in the Indian Ocean. Very few people in this part of the world have been following that as closely as you have. What can you tell us of anything that's new? Well, there's nothing new
0: except that the... Search uh, effort that they have going on, which was planned ahead of time to take upwards of a year and costing well over $50 million is still ongoing. And they are being very meticulous with mapping the bottom of the ocean and the areas where they think the aircraft went down. And the fact that there hasn't been anything reported in the last, in the first few months of the survey, uh, shouldn't make us completely discouraged that they'll ever find this aircraft. I think it will just be a very, very intense, very detailed, very methodical effort. And it's, it's likely, not, not certain, but it's likely that it may take longer than this initial one-year period. Uh, whether or not it'll take a, a few days or a few years or a few decades, it's unclear at this point. But I believe that they have put together a fairly sophisticated plan for looking for this aircraft. And I think they are methodically executing that plan
1: now, overall, you've had several months to think about this. Have we learned anything from that missing airliner uh, that we could use going forward to make sure that the next time there isn't as much of a mystery as to where a plane goes down?
0: Well, I think the biggest takeaway from this was that although there is plenty of technology in existence right now to have real-time or near real-time information coming from every airliner flying, it's a question of having the will to do so. And certainly this event is making the various authorities look at things differently. Uh, The mentality up to now was, well, if we have very, very solid information in the aircraft itself, something terrible happens, one can figure it out later. Well, now it turns out it would be nice to have your traditional black box information as well as other basic information that's continuously broadcast so so that there is a lost aircraft. It won't guarantee that the accident won't happen but it will make it less likely that a search will be this long and this uh, heart rendering.
1: We're talking to Todd Curtis of the Airsafe Foundation. He's got a tremendous website, which we're on all the time, called airsafe.com. All kinds of aviation issues that he discusses there, airsafe.com. I'm looking at the page right now, Todd, and I noticed that you were on media relatively recently talking about uh, drones and, and drones being spotted in in restricted airspace. Have we got a situation where we've got some near misses between drones and central aviation or general aviation? Well, certainly there have been many near misses in the U.S. and elsewhere.
0: And what's more important, I I believe, is that the technology has advanced to the point that individuals can relatively cheaply uh, buy relatively sophisticated drones that could engage in long distance and autonomous flight, sometimes at altitudes very much in the same altitude that airliners fly near airports. And I'm afraid that no matter what kind of rules or regulations you put out there, if you have a situation where someone can, off the shelf, either buy the parts or buy it from a commercial entity and start flying drones, I think it's only a matter of time before someone with more money than sense puts a drone in a situation that hurts someone. And I only hope that uh, somehow, whether it's through uh, social pressure, whether it's through an educational process, somehow that the risk is reduced before there's actually a bad outcome.
1: Todd Curtis of the AirSafe Foundation. The website is airsafe.com, critical information uh, for the traveling public. Uh, travel safely, my friend. If we don't talk between now and the big day, have a Merry Christmas. All same to you all and same to your audience.
0: For more information on airline safety and security, please visit airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.